Bookstew viewers, it's Eileen McDougall, and today I'm going to invite you to join a cult, or a circle actually, as it's called. I'm going to introduce you to an author who has been a favorite of mine for many, many years, but uh, who is not really widely read, sadly enough, at this point in the United States. And I'm going to tell you a, a quick story of how I met Angela Thurkell, or met how I was introduced to her books. Years ago, I was wandering in Harvard Square, and where there used to be probably 15 or 20 bookstores. Now there's only basically three or four left. And I was in Wordsworth, which was a great bookstore, and looking for something new to read. And I came across these three books. And there was, you know how you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, which I always judge a book by its cover, or partially by it anyway. And I saw these beautiful covers, and I picked up the books and, you know, read the back of the books, and I said, hmm, these sound interesting. There were only three of them. And I took them home, and I was immediately thrust into a new world. In Britain, so those of you who are Downton Abbey fans, would enjoy these, but those of you who are just fans of great fun and humor and characters um, would love Angela Thurkell as well. And I'd love to introduce you to Elizabeth Phillips, who has joined me today as a member of also the Angela Thurkell Circle. And actually, she's a pretty high mucky muck in it, and I'm very lucky <laughs> to have her join me. Um, because she lives close by and because we both just share this love of this author. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. And why don't you tell us your How I Found Angela story? Well, I could start way back when, when I explain how I read before I was born and have been a reader, an ardent reader ever since. And when I was living in Albany, New York with my husband who was working there, um, I was invited to join a group called the Friday Morning Club, which is a club that's been in, in Albany for 150 years. Women who used to only live in the center of town could walk to each other's houses. Once a, once a month, they'd get together, and someone would read a book, obviously an abridged version of a book, and then we'd all have sandwiches and soup, and then she'd finish another 30 minutes of reading aloud to us. And some of the ladies were quietly <laughs> sleeping. It was such a Thurkellian scene, I can't begin to tell you. But one of my friends there said, oh, you ought to read a book, and she gave me Wild Strawberries. And Wild Strawberries is one of the very early Thurkels, and I loved it because it does so many great things. It gives you, it satisfies your yearning for nostalgia for England. I think of England as the mother country. My ancestors came from England in various waves starting in 1620 and then up into the 1850s. And um, all the English authors are my favorites, especially Jane Austen. But when I was regional coordinator of the Jane Austen Society of North America in North Carolina, we had a program called Jane Austen's granddaughters. Actually, it should have been Jane Austen's great-granddaughters great or great-great-granddaughters. <laughs> and I read aloud from Thurkle because she does the same sort of thing. She takes a number of families, three or four, in a village, and she puts them together in various circumstances 
tea or political meetings or protest meetings or volunteering to cook at uh, refugee dinners during World War II. And she's very, a very acute observer, just as Jane Austen was a very acute observer. So I read Wild Strawberries, and then I just glommed on to all the rest of them and started reading like crazy. High Rising, Growing Up, Summer Half, the titles are funny. And how many are there in the canon, in the Thurkel canon, Elizabeth? Well, there are 29 or 30 or so novels that are set in Barsetshire County, which you know is a county um, described first by Anthony Trollope. And some of Thurkel's characters have some of Trollope's characters' names, so they're also grandchildren which or great-grandchildren. Which is, is an interesting... A case of, of uh, I don't know. Fan fiction, Yes, almost. really, you're absolutely right. I was trying to think of a word to describe it, but Anthony Trollope's books were set in this county, and Angela Thurkel, who must have been a great admirer of his, kind of took, took, where, took it up from where he left off, as you say, incorporated some same character names in it, I think the bishop and the bishop's wife were uh, the were attitude towards the bishop and the bishop's wife certainly the bishop it's funny to think of uh, a villain being the bishop's wife but if there is a villain in this book other than the world wars then yes. it is the bishop's wife but she also um, she as the books progress through fr basically from post world war 1 through world war 2 starting in about 1933 okay so it was and going on to 1960 right one so a year sometimes two a year and they follow not every family is in every book cuz that would be kind of boring and uh, the county expands to include um, not only the county aristocracy but also she's very involved in a kind of upstairs downstairs way in the in the lives of the servants and she also um, incorporates one of the most interesting characters who does appear in multiple books is a man named Sam Adams and he is an ironmonger who makes a fortune and moves to the county and at first the uh, residents don't know what to make of him because he is not of the gentry um, and he does not speak like the rest of the characters do, but he has such a good heart and he's so wonderful that um, he kind of tames the county and the county adapts to him. But what I was thinking is, is um, at the beginning of the book, each book, there's a little map and it's, I'll, I'll show it on, on a, I'll show it to you later. She even has humorous names for the towns, like my favorite is Winter Overcoats. I mean, she, so, it's all very gentle humor, but um, when her political views come through very strongly, especially in the books that take place um, during World War II. And afterwards, when the Labor Party comes into power in Ooh. Parliament, oh, that always is capitalized, T-H-E-M, them, <laughs> as opposed to us. And she herself, Angela Thurkel, has kind of an interesting background, actually a fascinating background. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Angela Thurkel um, is the granddaughter of Edward Burns Jones, who was a great um, artist of his time. And uh, her aunt married a man named Baldwin, so that's Stanley Baldwin, who was Prime Minister of England at one time. 
and her cousin, another aunt, married uh, into the Kipling family, so Rudyard Kipling is her cousin. So she was solidly placed amongst the gentry, not the aristocracy, not the titled people, but the gentry, people of means in big houses in the country. And of course, you remember, and perhaps it needs to be, but perhaps it needs to be said, um, Barsetshire is the county around Salisbury. So Barchester and the cathedral and the cathedral close are important parts of the setting of all of these novels. And she, um, I think of her first when I think of her as, as just being humorous. She has ways of making the most cutting remark in the most gentle and subtle of ways that I know sometimes I've gone back and said, did she really say that? She does really say that. And to the point uh -huh. where a lot of the people who are being um, insulted have no idea they're being insulted at all. She also, um, she also adds in a theatrical family, the deans, and right. that was something kind of out of right field when the deans came along. Well, there's not just the deans, though. There must be seven or eight characters throughout the novels who are writers. The main one, of course, is Laura Moreland, who is a woman who took up writing for exactly the same reason Angela Thurkle did. She um, was, her husband died, Laura Moreland's husband died, Angela Thurkle's was left behind in Australia. Um, but she needed to support herself, and so she took up writing books and came across Hamish Hamilton, the, the publisher, who needed material. And she said, well, this is probably not very good, but he read it and said, this has fabulous wild strawberries, fabulous possibilities, and of course I want to publish it, and so she was off and running. And then how did, um, how did American readers discover her? I think the American readers came across her, her first American publisher was Alfred Knopp, and I think it must have been at some book fair, or otherwise it was Americans coming to England and reading the books that the English people were reading and saying, wow, this is a lot of fun. There's so much nostalgia in Angela Thurkle's books, and even from the earliest ones, it's nostalgia for pastime, a different kind of life, and as the books move forward through the war and after the war, it's a s great sense of tenderness for mm -hmm. lost times. And some reviewers have said th that she's tender for times that never even existed. Uh, <laughs> but they exist in our imagination, and as you say, in Downton Abbey and upstairs, downstairs. Right, and that's interesting to say it was times that never existed because the county to me is so real that, and, and you learn so much about it, and as you read, I mean, I, did, I have read all her fiction um, that takes place in the county. She does have some nonfiction as well. Um, you actually get to see characters who are teenagers uh, grow up, get married, have children of their own. Um, she has, I think, very conflicted feelings about young children, especially oh, yes, young boys. boys. And this must come from her own Raising life. her children. Can you tell us a little bit about her her marital history, because it's kind of rocky. Well, she was born in 1890, and around 1920 or so, she married a man who was an art singer. She'd met him, I think, in Scotland. His name was McInnes. 
and they had three children, but during the course of the marriage, which was, must have been a huge surprise to Angela Thurkle, he turned out to be, uh, well, I had a friend who had a, got a divorce, and she said, I said, what happened? She said, triple A. I said, triple A? You mean the Automobile <laughs> Association of America? <laughs> no, no, she said, abuse, alcoholism, and adultery. Ooh, so this gentleman, uh, McInnes, had the same problems. In those days, divorce was a terrible no-no for anybody who had any position in society, but she was right to do it. And then um, later on, she married uh, George Thurkle, who was an engineer from Australia. And there's a wonderful book she wrote called Trooper to the Southern Cross, which is about their voyage from, she with her three sons, their voyage from England to Australia after the war on a ship that had once been a troop ship and that had been converted. But the Germans were so angry about this ship being captured that they'd done horrible things to it, like putting cold water in the hot water taps and ah. hot water in the cold water <laughs> taps and that kind of subtle sort of sabotage. So that book is also amusing and fun. But she stayed in Australia for a while and missed England terribly, horribly. Um, she worked for a while on newspapers in Australia, writing occasional pieces, earned some money. George um, Thurkle was not a great provider. So when she decided finally to leave him, she took her one son and her portrait by John Singer Sargent <laughs> in pastels. Ooh. Beautiful. And went back to England. And of course, there she was with uh, age 43 with two failed marriages behind her. And that's when she settled down to writing. Did she marry a third time? No, no. She learned, <laughs> she learned, she her, learned lesson. her lesson. Um, how about giving? I'd love for you to, uh, you do have a beautiful speaking voice, by Thank the way. You. So I think our readers would probably enjoy hearing a passage if you could. I know you've selected one. Tell us a little bit about the book that it comes from and the, the background of, of the reading. All right. Well, this is the introduction. Angela Thurkle loves the countryside, the downs, the rivers, the valleys, and the little villages around. And this is, the big, this is um, Northbridge Rectory, and it's identified as a Barset Shear novel. Um, but it's just about... A couple, uh, Mr. Villers is the rector in the local church and his wife. They have a huge house and they've done what many people in England had to do during the war. They've taken in several officers from the nearby camp who take lunch with them and tea with them and dinner with them when they can all work that out. So these refugee, <laughs> they're not refugee officers, they're <laughs> genuine officers, but they're in refugees from the base camp. Um, they, one of them falls in love with his hostess, Serena Villers, and is perpetually telling her she looks tired, <laughs> which of course <laughs> makes her tired, but she's so polite she can't fight back about this. Another one invites his wife, who's one of the great comic characters um, in, in uh, Angela Thurkle, who is just a horrible woman, <laughs> Mrs. Spender, who gives advice to everybody, and she talks about herself in the third person. 
Anyway. I know how we, we are used to, unfortunately, people who do that right. lately. This is a long piece. This is about, this is the opening description of uh, the Northbridge High Street. It's, the chapter is titled Literary Tea Party. There's a, there are a couple of writers who live in this town of Northbridge. As everyone knows Northbridge High Street, there is no need to describe it, so we will proceed to do so. This is a classic <laughs> Angela Thurkle <laughs> interjection of herself into the text. Northbridge, a famous center for the wool trade of the South in the 16th and 17th centuries, had gently declined ever since. It had indeed risen for a short period to eminence as a rotten borough, but now for more than a hundred years its calm had been unbroken. The town and its famous high street are synonymous for apart from the odious row of council houses on the Plashington Road and the incredibly small gasometer which has never in human memory inflated itself more than six feet from the ground <laughs> and is tucked away behind the church school, a building of which in saying that the date 1874 is carved in runic letters upon its gothic gable we have said quite enough, <laughs> Apart, we may say, from these three modest monstrosities, the high street with its lovely curve is the whole town. At the upper end are the gentry houses, still in many cases inhabited by descendants of the wool staplers or prosperous graziers who built them three or four hundred years ago, of honey-colored stone that has weathered to soft grays and browns, lightly stained with lichen here and there, the roofs made of thin stone slabs. Just where the street swings around the curve that is known to every tourist stands the little town hall on its 12 stone legs, the little open marketplace below it. Beyond the town hall, the houses are newer, late 18th and early 19th century, flat-fronted with great sash windows on the ground and first floors, suddenly losing heart on the nursery or servant's bedroom floor mm -hmm. with windows so low that even when the lower sash is pushed up and the upper sash pulled down, there is but a chink of air. These have slate roofs. A good many of them have fine plaster ceilings and there are one or two circular staircases whose curve is like a reflection of the high street and the despair of every architect that tries to copy them though their designer left no name. Here live the professional classes, doctors, lawyers, bankers, and so forth, most of whom have rooms in Barchester where they carry on the larger part of their business, attending in Northbridge on the first Wednesday in every month or Tuesday and Friday from 11 to 4. And beyond them, the street tails off into the picturesque and insanitary cottages of wood and clay or lath and plaster, whitewashed with thatched roofs descendants of the original mud huts of Barsetshire under the kings of Wessex and not much changed in all those years. Bunces and Scatcherds had lived on the same spot and almost in the same house when Barsetshire was half forest and travelers took the higher paths by the downs to avoid wild beasts and the marshy lands by the river while the cathedral was building, while wool was sent all over Europe from Barsetshire markets. Each generation had stoutly resisted improvements and the public feeling which had kept the railway at an extremely inconvenient distance from the town was the same as that which had prophesied woe when the abbot of Barchester cleared the lower slopes of the downs for sheep runs 
and had done its best to frighten away by its own methods, including two very brutal murders for which no one was ever brought to book, the shepherds with newfangled ways imported by the abbot from his native Suffolk. At the end of the high street is the river. There was a ford thereabouts for as long as history can tell, and the antiquity of the original bridge is shown by the fact that the town is called Northbridge, not North Ford. It is known to have been burnt in 1066, locally attributed to the comet, destroyed in the Wars of the Roses, locally attributed to the joy of antiquaries to Crooked Dick, and was rebuilt in its present graceful shape about 1816 by a pupil of Rennie. It has six public houses, of which the mitre is the most important, and several sweet shops where you can buy beer by the jug or the bottle. The church stands on a little eminence, and behind it is the rectory, an ugly but commodious house whose long garden slopes to the river, while in the town itself are various uh, chapels or conventicles patronized by the lesser tradespeople. Half a mile down the river is Northbridge Manors, whose present owner, Mr. Keith of the well-known Barsetshire firm of solicitors, will not live there until the war is over. So look, you've got history, politics, architecture, culture, economics, religion, and class humor. structure, and humor. World War II, and a lot of humor. And how and dear viewer, how could you not want to pack up immediately, get on a plane and fly out fly to England and find Northbridge, of which I wonder how much is left. I wonder if there are any places in rural England that would match that description. You know, I was thinking about this little town hall that stands on 12 stone legs. There's exactly the same kind of building in Carlisle in England, near the border of England and Scotland. It stands on 12 legs and they put the market underneath it. That's amazing. It's astonishing. So I would think you would find remnants, especially in the Cotswolds, you'd find remnants of these towns, but there are probably four or five of these little villages right around Salisbury, which was the original Barsetshire, that you would find looking like this. Well, tell us, this leads me into um, how, uh, how Thurkel is revered in England, appreciated uh, here in the United States and other countries, and what brings together the Thurkel Circle? <laughs> the Thurkel Circle, um, is my name for the Angela Thurkel Society of North, the Angela Thurkel Society North American branch. We're not supposed to call ourselves the Angela Thurkel Society because that's in England, ah, and we are in America, not in, in the England. Colonies. We're in the colonies. So Canada <laughs> and America and the unit Canada and the United States make up the North American branch. Um, Thurkel was so popular when she was writing these books that people would walk into bookstores and say, I want the latest Thurkel. They didn't care about the title. They didn't care about the subject. They just wanted the latest Thurkel. And um, book clubs publishers, several of these books that I have here from my collection are book club books. She was revered as Laura Moreland is described in the novels for writing good, bad books. <laughs> <laughs> These are not the high-test literary things. They're not Hardy. They're not Austin. But they are um, a lot of fun to read and very engaging when you're in one. You don't want it to stop. One of the qualities that 
enhances Thurkel's books is she quotes practically every English writer living. She starts with nursery rhymes and goes through the Bible and then through Shakespeare and then through Austen and then through Dickens and then into Kingsley. And you find yourself responding, oh yeah, I know the source of that quote. But her characters all speak these things, just toss them off. Right. They don't struggle to right, talk right. about They just, they it's just natural. toss them off very just, easily. Yeah. I think it, the dialogue in the book reads so true it's this i think that's one of the things i love the most about her there's not a false note to be found anywhere in these in these novels there's there's not a pretense we know that she was um not of the aristocracy but that she was definitely of the of the upper classes she's able to to voice them certainly but she's also able to well represent some aristocracy like the Duke and the Duke's daughter, and yet the servant classes she does very well, and this kind of burgeoning middle class, but it all, it's all so honest. I guess, I guess that's how it, it comes off to me. One of uh, her reviewers, actually there was a lovely piece in the New Yorker, if anybody's interested in going backwards, in 1996, Hermione Lee, who you remember as yep. a biographer, wrote this review of Angela Thurkel's, this is why so do so many re readers seek refuge in Angela Thurkel's Little England. So this is uh, the New Yorker of 1096. Um, they talk to each other the way people talk to each other. There's nothing high flown about it. Absolutely There not. is one character, George Knox in um, Northbridge Rectory, who writes very high flown historical fiction um, and his conversation is very funny. He gets started on a sentence, he doesn't know how to stop it. Mr. Middleton in Before Lunch does the same sort of thing. He's an architect. He keeps asking people to do things and he repeats it and repeats it and finally his wife says, that's enough now, that's enough. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> he has a stop. And there's also, my, one of my favorites and anyone who reads Thurkel's favorites is Lady Emily. Oh, Lady Emily. See, we are both like, oh, darling, Lady Emily. Darling lady. lady Emily is, um, is the matroness of a large family, the Leslie family. And she, she's in probably a third of the books, and she's always mislaying something. She's always having a child or a grandchild find her embroidery, find her this, find her that. She has the, the most beautiful, warm heart, and spoiler alert, she does gently pass away in one of the books, and I, I was crying. I could Did not. Did you really? Oh, it just, it's the way it's described, because she was so well-loved, not only by her family, but everyone in the county, as opposed to the bishop's wife, the villainess. It's a beautiful description. It's not sentimental or mushy. It's just... You know, she gave out. She was elderly. Well, I love the part. I love that scene because she's talking to one of her sons, or maybe a nephew. He's in her room visiting her, and she, she says, um, "Wait for me. I'm coming." And he knows that she's talking to her husband, saying, "Wait for me. I'll come with you on the walk." And then she's gone. It's 
gorgeous. It is. Every it one is. of us wants that kind of passing. I'm like tearing up yeah, now. Yeah, me too. I don't even <laughs> want to think about it. Um, I, one other thing I wanted to point out was the difference in our editions. After I read these first three, I decided that I had to own all of them. I mean, I, I, these three aren't the first earliest three. They're in, in the early group, but they're not the first. So I went back to the earliest and then I went forward. One thing you find is that each book has at least two or three marriages in it. And some of the marriages can be anticipated, like you kind of get foreshadowing early on that's going to happen. But some of them are come as a kind of a surprise. And the way the women are proposed to, because of course it's always the men proposing to the women, are, you know, it take place in such different places, uh, a pigsty while you're looking at pigs, any, anything you can imagine, these, the courtships and marriages take place. And towards the end of the books, I remember wondering who else is left to marry off? Everybody, all the characters, all those characters who are single have been married off. And she even squeaks out a couple of marriages um, at the end that are most unexpected of kind of elderly couples who've been around through most of the books and then finally, because she could leave no couple unwed, right. no one unhappy and single, she marries them exactly off. Exactly right. We, the Society has published this book, uh, Going to Barsetshire, a companion to the Barsetshire novels of Angela Thurkle. Uh, this must be the high street with the famous curve. Um, and it's an index of all the characters in all the books, of all the places in all the books, of the names of all the dogs and all the cats, <laughs> of the names of all the servants. And um, Angela Thurkle couldn't remember all these things by herself. She had a secretary who helped her do ah, them. I didn't know but that. But you talked about how um, there are all these marriages. Sometimes characters who've appeared in earlier books, and we've been told their ages, they don't age over 20 years. Oh, I didn't so notice that. a man who would, by rights, be 96 is marrying at the age of, of 70 or so. Well, at least he's Somebody. not marrying a 14-year-old <laughs> anyway. So, so there's such worse. a mass of, of information in these uh, wonderful books that um, she does every once in a while trip over her own feet. The early books include people who are then included in the later books, and then so the latest books of all have character lists that are about 70 people long. It's everybody <laughs> in the county shows up at whatever tea or political meeting is being held. The earlier books are more appealing because there's more character development of the few people that you do well, meet and, in and the it's, books. And it's also fun when the characters are younger, too. Yes. Um, and to watch, them, to watch them get older is kind of sad, even though you do get to see children, you know, them, as I mentioned, they're having, their children having children. What is your own favorite out of all these? I don't books? have my own favorite. I'm making book you pick one. Is the one I'm reading at the moment. <laughs> and that's another thing. I know we're running out of time, so I'm going to, I'm going to just, we could go on for hours. I find that um, every once in a while I, I reread the entire set. Do you? Look I at me. Do, I write down the dates when I've read these books. I should do that. So I know which ones, <laughs> how long it's been between readings. I, I, I'm, as my viewers know, I'm pretty much the fastest reader on earth. And um, if I put all other books aside, I could, I could go through these and just, 
just enjoy them again and again and again, which is another quality that they have, I think, that they're very rereadable. Very and not all books hold up to, to multiple readings. And you find beauties, new beauties, each time you reread a book. Absolutely. You smile or laugh or chuckle at different places. There, there aren't a lot of huge belly laughs, but there certainly are a lot of Oh, smiling, smiling, smiling through the whole thing. Shaking your head and, and nodding Elizabeth, and chuckling. And it makes me smile to have had you join me today on Book Stew to help me introduce um, my viewers to Angela Thurkell. I'll put some information um, at the end of the episode where you can uh, look at the website of the Angela Thurkell Society of North America and the Angela Thurkell Society. And I hope you'll be interested enough to uh, buy or check out her books. Um, some are in print now, is that right? Many are in print now. Uh, Moyer and Bell is putting some out. Um, but y y it's also a lot of fun to tramp through used bookstores and find a Thurkel Absolutely. Or two. I have a couple of hardcovers that I was, you know, I was antiquing with my husband and I'd let out a shriek and my husband would go, oh, she found another Thurkel. <laughs> so on that note, um, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank and you. Book Stew viewers, please give Angela Thurkel a try and have a good day.